Hi everyone, it's Pete here. It's really good to be here to share this time with you uh, today. I do want to thank Mel for preparing that prayer for us and also for Danny, for the communion and the musos. It's been really good to actually, we've been sitting here and going through the whole service. One of the things that I've become very aware of is that we haven't had a break. And normally on a Sunday morning, we'd actually stop and greet one another. And we have this time where there's this explosion of conversation and it's really obvious that that's absent today. And I look forward to when we can do that again. It'll be really good. Uh, this is our final week at looking at healthy church through Paul's letter to Titus. And one of the things that Danny did encourage us last week was that it's actually a letter that was really a public letter and was uh, for all of us to see. And these are the five things or three things, sorry, that he actually identified that were really important for us to understand. And we've got to keep in mind that Paul talks about his call, that his call was to further the faith and knowledge of believers and that there was this expected outcome of godliness. These three things, commit to your community, pray for the leaders um, and bring joy to them by the way you live. Wherever you lead, be the first to believe. These are some of the things that we were able to learn in chapter one. And then the following week, uh, Pete talked about, particularly he talked about the challenges we might find from outsiders and also the challenges and particularly false teaching that we might find within. And there were these things that Pete found uh, in the passage that we should be full of grace and the blessed hope, that we should be compelled by love to do good works, that we should live upright lives in challenging cultures and that we should love people deeply. With these thoughts in mind, uh, we're going to pick up this, uh, uh, this letter now in chapter 3, verse 1. And I'm going to start reading the first two verses. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle towards one another. The call to be godly is very clear in this passage and throughout Titus. It's something that as for, it's something that applies to those who choose to believe in the blessed hope, who put their trust in God. And it's important to know that we're not exempt from uh, you know, not being involved in the people's lives of this world. You know, we can't be complacent knowing that we have a citizenship in heaven. We are called to be subjects here as well here on earth, to the rulers and the authorities. And we know that not all rulers and authorities, uh, people who take up these positions are honourable or just or kind, but the call is clear for us to live godly lives. In my lifetime, I've never known the government to call on us like it has now to do the right thing. You know, there are four reasons why we should leave home, only four. But the important thing that we need to remember is that as followers of Jesus, it's a permanent call. The call is always there. 
that we are to do whatever is good. It never stops. There's no season. And throughout this letter, one of the things that Paul does to help us understand that this fact that we should be doing good and we should be doing living godly lives is that he contrasts it against a godly life, a pure life, and a life that is a non-believing life. So, in, and we find this in verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Contrast is helpful. It brings clarity. Just as these times that we are living in now are a contrast to what we're used to, but they can help bring clarity. You may have noticed this week that the dialogue around COVID-19 has changed and our restrictions. Amidst the extreme hardship that people may be experiencing, our thoughts have been turned towards uh, thinking about two things. These things are, what are the big shifts we can make in the way we live when we come out of this time? And two, what do we know about the future now that we didn't know before? An example of these would be in the way we live. Never before have we placed such value on those in need, those in need of welfare, but also those who have lost employment. From a government point of view, they've poured out billions and billions of dollars to make sure people are cared in this way. But also we have been called to care for people, to watch out for people like we've not been called on before. Uh, the future, life with technology. We've often talked about the fact that we could live life using technology, but now we've experienced it on a big scale. We can actually live in a virtual world. We can work at home. We can be educated at home. We can shop at home. We can even meet at home, all because of technology. And now we know we can actually do it. For us as Christians, we too need to know that, um, and, and need to learn and be attentive to what we can learn from this time. With much of our form and structure absent, what are we valuing now as Christians? And what can we be sure of about in the future? As Danny mentioned, uh, one, of, one of my joys has been to ring you and to see how you're going. What is fascinating about that is I've not heard anybody say they've lost faith or anybody say, I'm struggling to believe anymore. In fact, my experience has been the opposite. People are engaged more in their relationships, particularly their relationship with God and with those around them. I've never seen such a greater intensity or deliberateness about what people are doing with their activities, even though we have more time. One of our older members said to me, Pete, we're okay. We are spiritually resilient. See, contrast is helpful. Just as Paul took time to reflect on what the people's character was at Crete 
and also those around them um, to help us understand what was going on, we should be considering the things around us as well. And these will help us understand what is healthy church. It might be surprising for some of you for us to even talk about this concept of healthy church, but I'd like to suggest it's been around for a, a long time. I've been involved in ministry for nearly 50 years, 40 years now, and in that time, there have been those who have been concerned about the changes and shift in our society, and that we need to be careful about how healthy our church is. And so they've begin, began to dialogue around these things. But I'd even suggest it's, it goes back further than that. You know, Jesus, on the way to Jerusalem, saw a fig tree. And he went up to this fig tree looking for fruit. But the tree was fruitless. And so he cursed the tree. Um, following that, Jesus actually goes on into Jerusalem and he goes into the temple courtyard and he clears out all the traders. He stops them trading in money. And he says this, that this is meant to be a house of prayer. It was fruitless in Jesus' eyes. You know, Jesus talked a lot about fruit. In Luke 3, 8, he said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Uh, in Matthew 15, there's this long discussion that Jesus has with the, the teachers of the day who were challenging the disciples because they weren't following the rituals that had been set out about keeping clean before they were eating. And Jesus says to them, it's not what goes in, it's what's in the heart that defiles a person. What Jesus and Paul are wanting us to see is that we have a healthy church when we have healthy followers, healthy disciples of Jesus, when we have fruit bearers. So it's really important that we pick up from these passages that we're reading in Titus, what is the main thing? What is the thing that will keep us healthy? Or as our friend said from this ch our church here, what is it that makes us resilient, spiritually resilient? Now, what you'll see up before you is this passage, uh, verses four to seven. And what we're going to do is just go through this quite uh, closely, verse by verse. At verse four, we read, but when the kindness and love of our God, our Saviour appeared, he saved us. It is out of kindness and love that God appears. There's no other motive, no other motive or reason at all. When God appears, he appears as a saviour. And it's this appearance that tells us we need saving. You see, Jesus, when he appeared, came fully God, but fully man as well. And it's his humanity. When we look at it, when we look at Jesus, he is pure, he is godly. And contrasting this to a non-believing world, we go, we do need saving. In verse 5, we read, he saves us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. 
There is nothing, nothing we can do to be saved. We are unable to reverse the nature, the character that we bear. It simply falls short. And this is made clear as we consider the life and the person of Jesus. And it's important, though, that we recognise that God came to save us and he came out of mercy. This mercy in the Greek, this word is alios, which means mercy or pity or compassion. But it is more than that. It is actually when God moves forward to us, to humankind. It's when he actually comes forward and he withholds the punishment that, he is, that we are due and he offers to us salvation through Jesus. It's amazing, a beautiful thing. This is what mercy is. We go on then to read in verse 6 that it says, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the new renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour. This is beautiful. I love this. And this passage has really helped me understand my salvation, actually. Here we actually get the process laid out before us. There is both rebirth or an entering and there is a renewal, a new quality of life that is given to us. And it is clear that this is only possible, this work is only possible through the Holy Spirit. We are brought to life and then we are made new through Jesus Christ. In John chapter 3, this is, Jesus is recorded as saying this to Nicodemus, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And then it goes on to say, So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In this passage, we see Jesus focuses on us entering the kingdom. In fact, throughout Matthew, there's over 50 references to the kingdom. It is what Jesus hopes for us all. We can read too in Acts 2, 32, these words, God raised this Jesus to life. We are all witnesses of the fact Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see and hear. This is Pentecost. But this happens whenever we, when any, anybody makes this decision to believe in what God is doing to save them, that this Spirit is poured out upon us through Jesus Christ and we are saved. We go on to verse 7 and hear the result of this. It's wonderful, wonderful news. And it says, So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Now, at times I struggle to get the right words together. So here I want to turn to some words from a book called know, Knowing the Truth by Milne. And I just want to read these to you. In the face of our helplessness, we see the wonder of God's grace in Christ, 
the work of Christ. As a man, he was born under the law and fully obeyed all of God's commands, even to death. In this death, he bore the curse of the law by becoming the curse, cursed for us. Thus, in the death of Christ, the sins of his people were judged and forgotten, and the result is righteousness. His righteousness, sorry, was justification that brings life for all. And then further on in this uh, book, Milne says this, our justification is not simply a matter of God overlooking our guilt. Our need can be met only if righteousness, full and entire holiness of character, is credited to us. This is the amazing gift of God. It's so important in these group of words that we capture this, that the Father, the Son and the Spirit are all present here to save us and they come with kindness, in a loving way and with great generosity. God's mercy offers salvation, God's grace. We are made perfect. The old is gone, the new has come. Now that we are reborn and we are made new, we are fit for God's kingdom. And Jesus, and we are Jesus now to the world around us. Paul says this then about what he has just said. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. This is a trustworthy saying. This is the main thing what Paul has just shared with us. And it's for those who put their trust in God. You know, Paul speaks of holding firm to this trustworthy message, which you should be able to see just in, on the corner of the screen. It is only then that we can encourage and protect others with sound doctrine or teaching. It's when we hold true to this uh, trustworthy message. You know, Timothy uses this language, trustworthy message, in other places. This is another saying he says. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he says, this is a trustworthy saying, worthy of acceptance. You see, sound doctrine and teaching, it's not a collection of rules or principles. It's a life. Like Titus, like Timothy, a life that shows the reality of the message, the truth of the message, a life that has trusted God and then continues to devote itself to doing what is good. It's then it can teach and impact other lives. Paul says to Timothy, take hold of what is in you. And I would encourage to do the same, that we would do the same. 
Within this passage, and this is our, my final point, within this passage, Paul brings this idea of doing uh, good up eight times. In verse 1, in chapter 3, we see, it says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. The Greek word is agathias. It means inherently or intrinsically good. And as believers, this is what we, what we are. And it originates from God. It's empowered by God through our faith in him. But it is the widest use of the word good. And in many ways, it's clinical and doesn't have a lot of colour to it. But when we read verse 8, where it says that those who trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good, it's a different word. It's kalos. And this word means attractively good. Good that inspires. Good that motivates. That others want to embrace. Others see it as lovely. Others see it as beautiful and praiseworthy. It is something that where people go, well done, this is wonderful. We would use the word beautiful in its place. But one of the most amazing things about this word is what it means is this. Is it is an outward sign of the inward good. Do you capture that? Kalos. It is the outward sign of the inward good. Jesus, Paul, the very spirit of God that inspires these scriptures are all pointing us to this main thing. We are to live lives that, are, that shows the sign of an inward good. This resonates so strongly with Jesus where he says that we should be known by our faith, not just for those around us, but known for our, uh, sorry, known for our love for those around us, but known for the, our love for our enemies as well. Known for the light that we shine before others, that they may see the good deeds that we do, and out of that they will glorify God. This is an amazing grace that God has bestowed upon us through justifying us, through Jesus. We are beautiful. Paul, again then, in verse 9, contrasts this amazing grace, this life of, life of purity, with the life of an unbeliever. And we read in verse 9, but avoid foolish contra uh, controversies, controversies, sorry, and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. These people would be false teachers. And so, and then finally we read in verse 14. These last verses, actually, Paul has some instructions about Apollos and others that are coming to him. But again, in verse 14, he emphasizes, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives.
In summary, this is what I'd really hope you might capture through this series. Healthy church has everything to do with the way we live and what we know of the future. We should be living lives that values our trust in God. We should be living lives knowing what the future holds. That is, we will be more like Jesus every day that we follow him. And we will know that we will live a life, that we should be living a life devoting ourselves to doing what is good. And we will be beautiful to the world around us. I'd like to finish with these simple words of Jesus. Every good tree bears good fruit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God that is kind, loving and generous. And we thank you that through your son Jesus, you have saved us. And we pray now that we might be people that live lives that value you and value the trust that we have put in you and what you've done for us. We pray that we might live lives where we know that tomorrow we will be more like Jesus. And we pray that we might live lives where we devote ourselves to being good and doing good and that this might be beautiful to the world around us. I thank you, everyone, for listening. I trust there is something in here that inspires you and challenges you, and that I hope that you will have a wonderful week. We'll catch you later. Thanks, Pete. Uh, that was fantastic. Isn't it good to hear the word of God? Isn't it good to be reminded? Uh, I'll be praying for you this week, and I would ask you to pray for me too. These prayers that our beautiful, beautiful God um, uh, will be with us, we know he will, that we would trust him, that we would trust our beautiful God and that he would move our, our heads to think beautiful things that are his thoughts, that he would move our hearts to do beautiful things to people around us. And we're grateful to know him, aren't we? It's been great to be together. Thanks for sharing this time with us. And blessings as you go. Um, look out for the people around you and make sure you keep looking up and keep trusting our beautiful God together. See you later.